I come back in his presence, and what did he do? He came back. And we're always his chosen people. God will come back in that whole cycle throughout the Old Testament. You get to the end of the Old Testament, and, and what happens? God takes the nation of Israel because of their sin and their spiritual adultery, and he sits them on a shelf. They're still God's chosen people. And the gospel goes to who? Who's a Gentile? Us. And in Christ, we are, John 15, we are grafted into the vine, and we, for this time period, just as the nation of Israel was chosen to represent God's glory and the gospel in the future, we, on this side of the cross, are responsible, just as Israel was, to be stewards of God's glory and to be stewards of the gospel, the message of Jesus' finished work. Get the picture? And when he gets to that verse, he says, you are a chosen generation. That's us. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, that's the church. We have been chosen to represent God and the gospel here on this earth. A royal priesthood. No longer are the tabernacles or the temples needed, are they? In Hebrews it says that who are the priests? We are. A holy nation. His own special people. For what reason? That we may proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people, but are now a people. Who have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. In Hosea chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, that was prophesied about. It says this, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be the sands of the sea, which cannot be measured, numbered. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there it shall be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. In verse 23 of chapter 2, then I will sow, sow her for myself in the earth, and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. That's the Gentiles. Then I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people. And they shall say, you are my God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints, with the saints, and are of God's household, having been built upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built into a dwelling of God in the spirit. And Paul tells them in chapter 12 of that verse of that chapter or verse 12 of that chapter. Remember that you were at, the, at that time separated from Christ excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Listen, when you think about what Jesus did for the Jews, it has vast, uh, bigger meaning in that, that those that, that at this time would have remembered their, their families had, had walked through the Old Testament history. And God, who was only dwelt in the tabernacle, not anybody could go to see him, could they? Only the high priest. And when Jesus died on the cross and, and, and 
But they now had access at any given moment. How much that must have been an encouragement to them. We have that same access. And we're not strangers. I understand the Gentiles got saved in the Old Testament. The gospel was always for everybody. This generation that we live in has been put here for a specific reason. In Colossians 3, 1 through 4, it says, If then you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself in, in for me. And the picture here is this, of that living stone. <clears throat> we died to who we are. And we are to take on his characteristics. We have spiritually in here. It's the outside that's the problem. When we put our faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross, we are taken out of the stone pile of the dead little rocks. Petros. And we are recreated into the image of Jesus Christ and are made living stones. And that's that word lithos again. And God puts us into the spiritual house. That is his representation on earth. And it is here for his purposes. Offering up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Christ. And those spiritual sacrifices aren't the animals on the altar. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. Ourselves. Giving everything we have for the cause of the gospel and the glory of God. We're going to stop right here for today because today's about this. But in understanding, and we could have went through all of the words that talk about what it is to be saved and what we get upon salvation, redemption, and justification, sanctification, and there's a whole pile of words that go with that. But Jesus died for you so that you could be saved from your sin. Penalty. So that you could be Saved from the power and the control of sin, that's now, so that you could serve him on this earth, representing his glory and his gospel. I just have a video we're going to watch. It's about 10 minutes long, so just bear with and go ahead, son. to awaken us to the fact that we are lost 
and we can't get out. We're heading towards destruction fast. The enemy, because of our rebellion against God, has legal rights to harm and harass our life. There you are behind the prison cell. Help! I need out! You can't get out. Those prison bars are stronger than any adamant. There is no way you can cut them because they're stronger than diamond. It is impenetrable. You cannot escape. You're doomed. Because when the enemy comes in in the very end, he's going to finish you off. Because he has legal right to do it. He's going to relish every minute of it. In strolls your intercessor. Your mighty man. Between you and that accuser, and he takes the hit that was rightfully yours. He takes the blow that was intended for you. That is an extraordinary reality that he was turned to a pulp, and he actually died. God died for you. Over your prison cell, as always said, condemned, separated eternally from God, guilty. And then suddenly it switches. When you realize what Jesus Christ has done, it says justified. It says forgiven, redeemed. Here's the problem. Most of us have stopped with the good news right there. The blood of Jesus Christ has been shed and he was killed. I want you to know that is unbelievable news. But we are still in a prison cell. And so we're praising God within a prison cell going, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for changing the sign on the outside of the prison. And God's word says, could you check the door to the prison cell? Because my blood was shed for more than just forgiveness. Forgiveness was the avenue through which he could make the escape for us. He isn't just interested in dealing with the consequences of the penalty of sin. He's also dealt with the problem of sin. That's the door. It's unlocked. The door to the prison cell is unlocked. Walk out. Smell the open air of freedom and liberty in the life of Jesus Christ. When you get outside the prison cell, there's like this chariot that's waiting. Emissaries from the king, and they say the king beckons you into his presence. How bizarre this is when you realize that you were a rebel, that you were undeserving completely, the living God has literally given up his life for you, and now he has set you free, and now the very king is beckoning you into his presence. It's like, are you sure, sure you're the right guy here? I'm a rebel. I, I stood against my God. I sat in his face. How, how could he want me? He came back and shot. You get into the chariot. And as you're pulling into the kingdom, you're looking for where they might drop you off. You're looking for that poor district. So, where, where are you taking me? Well, into the very near presence. <coughs> he wants you to live right where he lives. Not just the penalty, not just the problem, but an invitation to his very near presence. But as you're coming in, the emissaries say, he wants to adopt you as his child. Me? Thank you. 
I need you to go back to that prison cell that I took you out of. Because there's a whole bunch more that need to know about me and my love and my children. Will you go for me? In a heartbeat. I would, I would gladly serve you. Any way you want. Any way you ask. I need to forewarn you. I'm going to send you out. And you'll be a sheep among wolves. They'll kill you. They'll destroy you. They'll hate you. They'll persecute you. They will do whatever they can to harm you. I'm in. I'll do it, God. I don't care. You shed your blood for me. I would gladly shed my blood for you. Take my body. Take my blood. Spend it any way you want. I belong to you in, in covenant. Take me, Lord Jesus. Send me. The commission, not just the penalty, not just the problem, not just the invitation to his very dear presence, not just the adoption as a son and a daughter of the King of Kings, but we are commissioned to represent him.
the impossible on your own. You don't have to fail any longer. Your God is ready to do it in and through you. You can't do it. You can't muster up the discipline. You can't muster up the intellect. You can't muster up the strength. You can't muster up the perseverance and the fortitude. Unpardonable sin, which is simply rejecting God. Unbelief. 
your God, he's not blasphemy. If you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, listen, if you're in bondage, you're under the penalty of sin. If you die today, you will go into eternity, and one day you will stand before God in what's called the great white throne judgment. And you will stand before God in your works, your works that are the Bible refers to as filthy rags, and you will go to hell, the lake of fire, and pay the penalty of your sin for eternity. Eternal separation. You don't have to do that. That's why Jesus died. That's what we're celebrating here. Why, why do we celebrate and when we come to communion, do we read out of 1 Corinthians and not out of the Gospels when Jesus sat with his disciples? Do you know? We read out of 1 Corinthians because the work is done. Jesus was talking about a work that was still to be completed. It's done. You can be forgiven. For the rest of us that know the Lord is our Savior, we may be free from the penalty of sin, but we may still be bondage to sin because we not strip all the soil garments. Jesus died not so just so you would go to heaven. He died so that you would not have to carry the weight of that garbage around all your life. He forgave you. And if there's something in your life that you need to ask him forgiveness for, that's what 1 John 1 9 is. If we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just forgiveness of sins. And I know we're going long, and I'm sorry. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Somebody's knocking. Right? So in this moment of silence, just bow your head. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, all you need to do is simply call out and say, God, I recognize I'm a sinner. There's nothing I can do. I know that Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for my sin. And today, in the best way that I know how, I am going to put my faith and trust in that sinful condition. And I'm going to give it to him to take care of. He's already taken care of on the cross. Come into my life and save me.